Greetings, Hokie fans, and welcome to another episode of Terradome Talk. I'm Jonathan Hagee, here with our newly added special guest here for basketball season, Josh Hollifield. How's it going, Josh? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm really excited about being out here talking about some basketball. This is my favorite time of the year. We get to get it off the field into the gym, and I think it's going to be an exciting time for Hokies. Absolutely, and uh, we're coming off uh, Virginia Tech basketball loss last night. You know, it's a heartbreaker, a tough game, really there at Miami and Coral Gables where Virginia Tech really got behind the eight ball early, and you have to give them credit. They really tried to battle back in the second half and, and got close there. You know, there was an unfortunate flagrant one call there on Beatty that kind of, you know, did us in there. But you have to admire the heart that they played with. But the first half, you know, is probably – you and I talked about this last night. Maybe the worst half or – and at, at best, the second worst half of basketball they've played all season. The ACC road games are never easy. I think the team definitely learned a lesson last night, if nothing else, is that what they are capable of when they're doing their best and what they are capable of when they're at their worst. And I think hopefully going forward that was a lesson learned. Right. And I think this team, you know, I think this team is very self-aware. Uh, you know, they, they are who they are. They play really hard. Uh, they, they can get hot and shoot well from behind the perimeter. And and like you've pointed out before, when they get to the line, you know, on offense, when they're attacking the basket and they can get to the free throw line, they're really a dangerous out in the ACC. But I also think this team knows that they, they're not good enough to take anybody lightly, whether or not they're playing Florida State and Duke or they're playing – Miami, Clemson, the bottom half of the ACC. So I think this team is aware that they're not good enough to take anybody lightly on any given night. You definitely see trends in the Tex game. Um, we, if you look back at our losses this year, we've only had one game where we shot over 10 foul shots and a loss, and that was Dayton. And No one's going to win when you're getting shot 64% against and out-rebounded by 17. But definitely, if you look at trends, we only had eight foul shots in the loss to Syracuse, 10 last night. We had, I think, nine the night before against Boston College. We can't do that. That shows that we're being tenuous and we're staying outside the three-point line, taking too many shots for granted, and we really need to press the other team as well as they're pressing us. Right. So you you take a look back, uh, you know, in the last week, and you start a week from today. Uh, we're in the castle. We're playing North Carolina, who, who, for all intents and purposes, you know, have, they've not had the season that they that they were looking to have and are accustomed to there in Chapel Hill. Uh, we are able to grind out a 79-77 win on a last-second Tyrese Radford basket. Uh, it was his only two points. Um, you know, and then you fast-forward to last night, and Ty, I thought Tyrese Radford really was the, the one guy you could point to and say he's, you know, he's he's really here, ready to play and compete, and he was the only guy that brought the energy last night that, that it takes to win. But going back to the North Carolina game, that's a huge bucket there. And you look at it now, really, that win is – probably what's keeping us on the outside of the bubble with a chance Saturday to get a huge win against Florida State to get ourselves maybe back on the right side of the bubble or at least in that last four-out conversation. Yeah, we definitely started out the season in ACC winning a lot of those close games. And it's kind of come back and bite us a little bit now that we're starting to drop a couple of them. I think we're pretty much where we kind of hoped we would be at this point, still have an opportunity to get into the NCAA tournament with a good finishing stretch. But we definitely have an opportunity on Saturday, but we also have to look at look back at what we're doing and be more consistent. You were talking about Tyrese, and Tyrese has had a really good game last night, but he's pretty much been invisible the two nights before. The problem we have right now is we're not getting consistent play out of anybody. Uh, Nolly's having a great night one night and then kind of disappearing the next. Beatty, for all the troubles they had last night, has been a great floor general force in other games, and we definitely need the bench to continue to step up and find more coming off of it to lead the team around. Right. So you take a look back at the North Carolina game. 
Uh, we were led in scoring by Landers Nolly, who had 22 points <clears throat> and shot 5 of 17 from the field. Certainly not the numbers there that he's looking for. But he was 10 of 11 at the free throw line. And I think Landers has done a really good job this year of even when he's struggling with his shot, of getting to the line and, and taking advantage of his opportunities from the free throw line. Uh I've seen some criticism recently, and I heard a local talk show host recently say that Landers hadn't been the same great player later in the year that he was at the beginning. But I think that that's short-sighted, and people are forgetting that a lot of times Landers is being double-teamed, and he's he's being helped off of, um, you know, and, and he's basically trying to get open against two guys at all times because teams know that he's our best scorer. So his legs are getting tired. And it's hard in the best league in the country. And, yes, I still call the ACC the best league in the country until somebody proves otherwise. Night in and night out to be the focal point of, of, of a team trying to shut you down and to shoot at a high clip every night, especially when what's around you is limited from a scoring standpoint. Well, definitely. Mike Young made a transition. And I don't know if people saw that during the season. But we, when our first about ten games, we were playing a four out with a one inside with Horn basically rotating up for open threes at the top of the key but basically leaving the edges open for the three-point shot. And now they had a lot more opportunity to shoot from the outside. But as we've gotten into the ACC and we've seen more size, Coach Young has needed Nolly to be inside banging with the big guys, and that definitely takes a toll on a shooter. And while he's getting a lot of volume shots, that means, A, the team is you know respects the shot enough to continue to feed him the ball, and, B, that Coach Young expects him to be a big volume scorer. And that's sometimes hard to do when you're battling for rebounds and you're trying to keep a guy off the glass. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the North, <clears throat> in the North Carolina game there late, Jalen Cohn, you know, kind of came came to life and showed what he had done up in the Carrier Dome and kind of continued that and provided that spark for Mike Young's team. And I think going forward, we're going to have to see more of that from Jalen night in and night out, that consistency to go along with Nolly and P.J. Horn, who I thought last night you talked about uh, – Earlier in the year, him shooting the three ball, I thought they kind of got back to that offense, that rotation last night where P.J. was open a lot up top and he was taking advantage of the threes and really started the game out against Miami hot. Yeah, we came out with a lean out there and replaced Cone. And I think Coach was kind of looking for something different than we'd seen in the Boston College game. And it definitely started out going well. When you start out three for four from the three-point line, you definitely understand that you're doing something good. But it seemed like we got into a rut. We started shooting the ball outside and not really – threatening even to go inside with it. And when we went to the bench, it really seemed to crumble for us. And it was definitely not the best first half last night. Right. And looking back at the North Carolina win, I think if you look at some of these numbers, a lot of these statistics are not in favor of Virginia Tech. And it, if you just looked at the box score and the team stats, you would think this is probably not a game that Virginia Tech wins and comes up on the right side. Garrison Brooks has 28 points. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech was out-rebounded by four, but with the size differential between North Carolina's roster and our roster, I would consider that a win for Virginia Tech. We had eight offensive rebounds to their six, which surprised me looking at it right after the game because in real time it seemed like North Carolina had probably 10, 15 second-chance opportunities on offensive rebounds. So for Virginia Tech to get more offensive rebounds in North Carolina, that's really a statement to how hard we played in that game, because if you look, most of the times we're one shot and done. We shoot, and our guys are getting back on defense because we can't afford to give up points and transition and get beat back. It's been a while since we've played two consistent halves, and I think that's what Coach Young has seen from us right now. If you look at last night's game, we played the first half really weakly, and the second half we played strong. The BC game is the exact opposite. We played a really strong first half, and we definitely didn't have a good second, strong second half. The UNC game, 
we were pretty much gone at halftime. I was thinking that we were checking out and we were going to let it roll away. And then in the second half, we seemed to get more aggressive. We took the ball to the basket. And even though our field goal percentage was so low, we still were being able to get some points from the free throw line. And that carried over to overtime helped us win. But we definitely need to see more consistency on the team from the beginning tip all the way to the last buzzer. Right. So Virginia Tech was able to get the two-point win and double overtime there at home on Wednesday night. And then you go to Saturday in Chestnut Hill facing a Boston College team that at the time was 9-10, and 3-5 and five in the conference. They're kind of reeling. They're without one of their better players and their big man. Uh, and then we get to the game and we find out that Landers, Nolly, Aline, and I believe it was Cone had overslept and missed the bus to shoot around and that they weren't going to start. They were going to play, but they weren't going to start. And really – you know, it was kind of a lackluster performance from, from our Hokies outside of the first three or four minutes of the game where we had control. And there were numerous times early in the game when we were up seven or eight and we would get a turnover and we really had a chance to get Boston College reeling and on the ropes early and we didn't take advantage and we would create or come up with a turnover of our own and, and seemingly keep Boston College in the game. Yeah, Boston College gave us every opportunity to win that game. I mean, when you shoot 11 for 27 from the foul line, you know that something's off. And you know that there's opportunities. But you also look at that number and look at how many lackadaisical defensive plays you have to give up 27 foul shots. That means you're not moving your feet and you're absolutely letting them have shooting lanes. Uh, you look at Hamilton in that game. He had 23 points on 7-11 shooting. That's a guy who averages eight points a game. So he definitely had a great game, which definitely contributed to the loss. But as you're watching the game as a Hokie fan, you're thinking to yourself, at some point we're going to get rolling we're getting back on the right side of this. But it never seemed to happen that day. Right, and Virginia Tech for the game had 14 turnovers. I really thought that was the story of the game and, and the reason that we come away a 61-56 loser here in this game. You know, we went into halftime up five, and then we're outscored 35-25 in the second half. And 14 turnovers for this Mike Young-led team is really a lot. I mean, if you look at the strengths of this team all season, we've shot the ball well from three for the most part. We played gritty defense. We battle on the boards despite our limited size, and we don't turn the ball over. And really, those are the things we have to hang our hat on night in and night out to give ourselves a chance to win consistently in this league. Well, yeah, I think the turnovers are going up, but I also think it's because teams are starting to key on the fact that we're doing most of our offense at the top of the key. And you're seeing a lot more pressure coming up from the guards at that position, and that's definitely causing them to be in the passing lane and make more steals. I think the team will adjust as time goes on. I think that this is a great opportunity on Saturday playing a bigger team to work the ball inside more, try to get those passing lanes, the ball moving through, and actually attack the basket off the dribble. I'd like to see at least 15 to 20 foul shots on Saturday to give us a real good opportunity to stay in the game. Right. And this past Saturday in Chestnut Hill, you know, Virginia Tech is out-rebounded again, 36-34. But, again, we'll, we'll call that, you know, a push even. It's still a win for Virginia Tech because of, because of the limited size on our roster. But Boston College was without Popovic. You know, they're one of their key big men. So it, it kind of surprised me that we were out rebounded in this game. Once again, we had more offensive rebounds than our opponent, eight to seven, which, you know, is even, but still we, we're, we're plus one there. Um, and I also thought only 11 assists for the game. That's kind of a low number for, for what we're used to, especially in our wins. Uh, like you said, Beatty may not be an elite scorer, but he's an elite on ball defender and definitely an elite four general from the standpoint of he passes guys open and he gets guys in the right spot. He, he gets them to the right spot on the floor and gets some open looks. So 11 assists on 22 field goals made is really, you know, a, a low number. For, uh, 22 field goals made is a low number for Virginia Tech in general. Yeah, I think B absolutely is probably even a better passer than J-Rob was. 
And I know that's probably going to make some Hokie fans question it, but the thing about it is he definitely is, like I said before, the more traditional point guard. And I think the thing about it is he just hasn't found a consistent score that he can get the ball to and that he can feel comfortable with. And sometimes I think that makes Beattie try to do things that he's not very comfortable doing. Beattie shouldn't be shooting the ball from three points. I mean, it's not the fact that he can't, but it's just the fact that that's not our top option. That's not what he should be looking for. He should be looking for people cutting to the basket or cutting off the screens and looking for the open three. And I think sometimes he has to force things because he's not seeing that other option develop. Right. And Beattie, you know, probably and – he, and he would tell you this. This is not us knocking on Beattie because, you know, I'm a huge Wabissa Beattie fan, and I really like what he brings to this team and what he does for this team night in and night out. Um, you know, going into the matchup Saturday with Florida State, Beattie is probably coming off what I would consider absolutely as a starter – but probably the worst performance of his career, you know, in Coral Gables in Miami. So I have no question that he's going to look to rebound and, and really try to lead our guys to a big win, which brings us to that matchup against the Seminoles, who are currently ranked number five in the country. Uh, you know, they go into JPJ last night and, and suffer a huge loss um, to UVA, one that I didn't expect them, you know, to, to drop uh, as, as much as UVA has had, had trouble scoring and have, have a limited offense. You know, UVA has – statistically the worst offense in the ACC and Florida State with their size advantage I really they, I thought they would dominate from start to finish and take take advantage and I have to give you credit because going into the game you told me you thought Mike or Tony Bennett's crew would find a way to pull one out and, and get themselves back on the right side of the bubble so now we have to hope that Virginia Tech and Mike Young in this squad at home on a Saturday probably a sold out Castle Coliseum can channel that same energy and fire and really come away with the win here to get themselves back in the bubble picture. This is absolutely a game that will show where we're at. And it's not saying that the Hokies haven't proven a lot during the season, but this is an opportunity that you come to during the season when you know the fact is you have to win. Uh, we could look at, you know, any games that we have coming along further that matter, but this one really does because this gives us a signature win at home and it gives us the opportunity to get off of the skid that we've been on and also on top of that beat a really good team, but also by defending our own court. Right. And this win, I think if you look at our future schedule, you know, this we have to probably get this win for the games against the Boston Colleges, the Clemsons, the Miamis, the Pitts of the world going down the stretch to really mean something other than probably playing ourselves into an NIT bid. And, you know, I know that the postseason was a far-fetched idea going into this season, and I, I don't mean the NCAA tournament. I mean – a postseason of significance of any kind, which we consider the NCAA or NIT, that was probably a pipe dream coming in. But the fact of the matter is this team has played themselves in a position for the, uh, us as fans and for the program and the coaches and the players to expect more now. And, yeah, we, we dropped the last two and people can say, well, this is where we're really supposed to be. But the fact of the matter is when you put yourself in the position to make the NCAA tournament, you don't want to drop games that you probably should win. And, you know, for all the expectations they were what they were going in, we should have beaten Boston College and Miami on the road. And we dropped two. We let two get away from us that, that we shouldn't have. So this Florida State game is even bigger than it was, than it was you know, a week ago. Well, definitely the opportunity is there. We are currently sitting at 5-5 five and five in conference, and nothing has gotten away from us just yet. But we've got to start defending our house. And the thing about this, this game is huge for that matter because it allows us to go, all right, we might have lost to BC and Miami on the road, but we got Florida State at home. We've got BC and Miami coming back to us later on in the season so we can prove to the board and the committee where we're sitting at later on in the year. We could say, all right, we may have lost to them on the road earlier, but we're getting better. We're trending upwards as we go towards the tournament, 
And that's absolutely the thing they're going to look for teams on the bubble when we get there is which way you're trending. We don't want to trend the direction we are now. And hopefully by winning some more games at home, we can definitely get ourselves back on the picture of that. Right. And this win would certainly do that. Um, I think if you look at our wins right now, uh, the bubble is going to be weak this year. It, it is what it is. It's a down year in college basketball in general. So I think you look at this, a win over what would be a top five Florida State team right now, coupled with the win on a neutral four against Michigan State, would really give this Virginia Tech team two wins that not a lot of teams on the bubble are going to have, wins of those caliber. You look at what UVA did with FSU, and they were able to beat North Carolina when Cole Anthony was still playing. But I would still argue that a, win, a neutral court win over Michigan State and a home win over Florida State would put would push Virginia Tech's resume a little bit ahead of UVA's if all things were even at the end of the season. You know, certainly we have to beat them in the castle the second time around for that to matter. Yeah, I definitely think we have to split. We've got to look at the second tier that's starting to develop and think about where we're at. We've split with Syracuse. We know we've got to beat Pittsburgh, and we know we've got to split with UVA. And then we got hopes and chips fall where they are. The thing about it is, is that we want to be able to at least say at the end of the season we have a shot. And anything can happen at that point. But with what we've developed this year with these guys and how young they are, as long as they're coming along, as long as we can see development, I think all Hokie fans will be excited. Right. I, and I think if you look at the big picture here, I think everyone is still really excited with the, even the last two games pending about what Mike Young and his staff are doing in Blacksburg and about this team going forward. And no doubt we're going to be a consistent NCAA tournament team and NCAA, or ACC contender for uh, you know for years to come as long as Mike Young's here. Looking at this FSU matchup, you know I, I was kind of surprised by this when you start to dive in the numbers. Statistically, this is a pretty even matchup. You know FSU comes into the game averaging 75 points per game. We come in averaging 71. Uh, they come in giving up 64.5 per game. We give up 63.3. They shoot 45.7% from the field. We shoot 43.3. Where I was shocked, you know, with their size, we, we actually average 35.3 rebounds a game to their 33.3. Um, we, we have more assists. They do have more blocks and steals by a pretty wide margin. They average 5.6 blocks per game, 9.8 steals. And really FSU, with their size and their athleticism, they hang their hat on their defense. And they use their defense to create offense by, by creating turnovers. Well, when I told you yesterday that Florida State was going to lose to UVA, it was, you know, some wishful thinking in the part of the fact that I was hoping that Florida State would probably be more of a chance for us to win on Saturday. But also, I was looking back at their schedule, and the thing about it is a lot of their early wins that gave them a lot of credit are not quite as big anymore. They beat Florida early on. They beat Tennessee. And both of those teams have dropped out of the rankings since then. Their only big win that they still really have – hang their hat on is that win at Louisville. And without that one, they're pretty much a mediocre team. I mean, they're they're not a top five team that would be there in the previous season. Right. And and and, and as we said, college basketball as a whole is down from top to bottom. There's not really one dominant team with one dominant player, you know, that you're pointing to and saying that's the team in March that you have to really watch out for. That's the juggernaut. And we've talked about this before. You referenced their loss to Dayton earlier in the season. You know, I've spoken to you numerous times. I still believe Obi Topin is the best player in college basketball all the way around, and I certainly believe he's the best player that Virginia Tech has played against this season. For my money, you know, I, I, I honestly believe that. But Florida State is led in scoring by Devin Vassell. Uh, he comes into the game averaging 13.3 points per game on 49.3% shooting. He shoots 74% from the line. He's also their leading rebounder with 5.3 rebounds per game. So they – Florida State really spreads their offense around. There's not one dominant guy that you point to like we do with Landers Nolly, who comes into the game still averaging 17.8 points per game on 41% shooting, 79% from the line. 
you know, everybody knows Landers not only is their guy. Uh, I won't say that we come and go as he does, but the chances are a lot greater that we're going to come and go as he does. Uh, you know, there's nights that Cone picks up the slack. Tyrese Radford certainly on nights has picked up the slack. But night in and night out, we're looking to Landers Nolly to make plays. Yeah, Florida State goes about eight deep with a contribution of maybe about ten. So they're not really going to run us off the floor with a death that we don't can't match up with. But the biggest problem we're going to have with Florida State, of course, is the size. Florida State's always a big team, but we always seem to be able to handle that size and we're able to find ways around it. So hopefully this will be a surprising game on Saturday. I think if we can get hot early from the outside and really start to stretch them, I think we'll be fine. But the biggest thing is we can't become complacent and just shoot threes for the whole first half. Right. And, you know, Florida State is certainly going to look to, to pound the ball inside here in this game. Uh, they're not a great three-point shooting team. They did shoot it pretty well last night on the road at Virginia. But, you know, most of those were M.J. Walker. And M.J. Walker is a guy Virginia Tech fans are very familiar with because I truly believe had the buzz, no pun intended, the buzz not been around Buzz and his staff, that they were probably on their way out in, in a year or so. I believe M.J. Walker would be a Hokie because, you know, he was seemingly thought to be to be a Virginia Tech lean for a long time. And Hokie fans can think, what if, had he committed here, he would just add another piece to what Buzz and his staff had in, in their tenure here. But M.J. Walker is certainly a very talented athletic player that Virginia Tech will have to watch out for this Saturday. Yeah, I, I think the death of the ACC is definitely where guys like an M.J. Walker stand out more than what they probably would in the past. So I'm not quite sure if I'm going to say that, you know, it would be a big key piece, but I definitely think that it would definitely have been something that would have helped out. I, I also think that the guys that we're developing, because they're not there, are also helping us out in the future. I mean, you look at a guy like Cone or Radford, if they were on a deep senior-led team, they would probably get – 10 to 15 minutes off the bench, but they wouldn't be able to showcase what they're doing. I think Raffin's the biggest gem we found this year, and I think really a lot of that has to do with Buzz leaving and leaving an opportunity. Sure, and, you know, I think people forget this about Jalen Cohn. Jalen Cohn re-enrolled, uh, you know, to enter college a year early. He's supposed to be a high school senior. You really think about how good he is and what he's accomplished on this level to this point. Uh, I believe he's was close to leading the nation in three-point field goal percentage and may actually be leading the nation as a guy. I mean, you think about yourself in high school. And, of course, you know, those guys are athletic, like freakishly athletically gifted and on another level than the common person, you know, can really understand how to operate athletically in that manner. But Jalen Cohn is supposed to be in high school. And what he's done for this team so far to this point has really been remarkable. Absolutely. Jalen Cohn is a great player, and I think he's going to develop to be even a better player. Like I said, the thing that we're really missing right now is consistency. If you look at Jalen Cohn, he's averaging 8.1 points on the season. But he's had a couple of games where he's been over 20 points. He's had a couple of games where he's had less than five points. So we need people to step up and be consistent throughout and kind of take some of that burden off of Nolly because I think we all look to Nolly to have 20 to 25 points every night and do it on 50% plus shooting, and that's just not there for freshmen. Well, yeah, and it's not feasible for most people, especially, like I said, on a team – as limited roster-wise as Virginia Tech. You know, when you're counting on six or seven guys a night, you can't depend on Landers Nolly's legs to just be able to withstand, again, as a freshman, night in and night out carrying this team in the best league in the country. Uh, you know, some keys to the game, like we said, FSU is not a great three-point shooting team. As a team, they shoot it at a 35.6% clip. But – from the field as a team, they shoot 45.7. So that lets you know they're taking advantage of their height inside. And as long as I can remember, FSU has always been a big team, not just in the middle with their centers and their forwards, but their guards are big. I mean, you think about and, – and their threes are big. You think about, 
guys like Dwayne Bacon that they've had through there and Isaacs. And some of those guys, those are just really long athletic twos and threes. And even their point guards um, are big and strong. And they really do a great job, Leonard Hamilton and his staff, of, of taking advantage of that mismatch that they have size-wise. Yeah, one thing Texas really going to have to go back to is staying out of the foul trouble. The problem is if you put FSU on the line, they're shooting 76.6% on the year. And that's going to be trouble, especially if they're getting the ball inside and getting a lot of foul shot opportunities and we're not. If they start getting the 10 to 15 foul shots a half and we're only getting three or four, that's going to be a huge difference in this game. Right. We're going to have to get Cooper Vicka and Olin Zach in foul trouble, both seven-footers. You know, Cooper Vicka is a freshman. Olin Zach is a senior. We're going to have to attack the rim, find some way. You know, not only – and I think one thing that's frustrated me the most in watching this team throughout the year is Wabisabi well, takes a lot of flack for scoring, but there's – Plenty of times that he gets to the rim at wheel and then he opts to go under the basket and then kick it back out. And, yeah, that's great because he's getting guys open looks. But this may be a game where he has to be willing to go up and, and attack the rim because we have to get them in foul trouble. Yeah, Mike Young, when he was at Wolford, definitely favored having the guard penetrate and then kick the ball back out. But we all know that Wabidi can definitely take it to the basket. He did it a lot last year when J-Rob was out. Beatty was one of the best penetrators that we had on the Tech team. I think if he can get – Penetrating the ball like he was in the first half, drawing some fouls and things like that, I think it'll open up the opportunities to kick the ball out to Cone or to Lean or to Nolly or even to Horn. Right. And I think one thing that you really have to monitor in this game, uh, looking at the numbers, FSU has eight guys that average 12 or more minutes per game, but seven of those guys average over 20 minutes per game. Uh, we probably have five five or six. So, you know, that depth, and we knew that going in, but in a game like this is, has really become an issue. And Virginia Tech basketball is no stranger to this. Even in the, you know, the great years under Buzz Williams, we always had injuries. We had limited depth or a guy would come up ineligible or whatever, and you're playing six or seven guys. And when you're playing Duke, Carolina, and you're expecting to compete with those guys and UVA night in and night out, and certainly FSU, who has been a bugaboo for Virginia Tech basketball, as long as we've been in the ACC. Uh, you know, they're really a tough matchup because of their size and depth that Leonard Hamilton just seems to continue to accumulate there in Tallahassee. It's something you have to monitor and worry about. Can our legs hold up and sustain a 40-minute fight against FSU? You, we have to hope that being in the castle and the crowd and being a Saturday raucous crowd, the castle guard being back, is good for another 10 minutes added into our depth and really pushes these guys and gives them the energy they need. I mean, you hope a guy like Couture or you even hope Wilkins could step up and give us about 10 to 15 minutes more than what we're expecting from them. But that possibly might not happen. But this is the same team that won a double overtime game with UNC, who also had some deaths. I mean, of course, they had a few injuries that were keeping them a little more limited. But we last year we lost Clark, we lost J-Rob, and we only had six, seven guys we were playing with, and we were still able to compete in the ACC even with Right. And, I, you know, I hate to say this, and I, I always hate when fans reference this, but, you know, there is some credence to it. If you followed Virginia Tech basketball for any length at all, even back to the to the Greenberg years, we always seen there's been seasons where you're like, OK, this is the year where you're eight or nine deep with, you know, not not just good basketball players. We have some studs here and then there's just something that happens and you lose one or two of them. And now you're back down to that six- or seven-man rotation, your size is limited. So this is not foreign territory to Virginia Tech basketball, you know, as a whole. But that doesn't make it any easier for, for this current team now. And, and I agree with you. And you look at the game last night, Hunter Couture, 
I thought provided a spark. He came in and hit a couple threes. And I guess I really didn't realize this. I was shocked when he hit that first three in the second half. And they said that was his fifth made field goal in ACC play. He just seems like he's been more productive than that. But I think a lot of that comes from his, uh, you know, proclivity, proclivity to get the, the loose ball, make a hustle play. He seems like he's making more of an impact and even more than he's made. Couture is a hustle guy. He's definitely the type of guy – Kind of like Beattie, if you kind of look at it in that direction, that he's going to put a lot of things into the game that are not going to show up on the stat book. And he definitely helps us out coming off of the bench to give us some more energy. Uh, I think that was one thing Mike Young was looking for when he moved Aline to the bench for the last few games before the last one, was that Aline was a, a big scorer and that hopefully when Nolly was off the floor or Cone was off the floor, Aline could step up and he could show things. So I think Young is trying different rotations and he's really forming what he thinks is going to be a great group. And the death could be an issue, but the thing about it is if we could get to the tournament, you'll find most teams start shortening their bench and going down to the seven- to eight-man roster, and then it all evens out in the end. Right, and I actually do want to correct myself. I'm looking here at the numbers, and it looks like Virginia Tech's roster does have, in fact, eight guys that play 12 or more minutes per game, the difference being that you have four or five guys here that play the line share of the minutes where FSU's is more spread out. Um, it, one thing that stands out to me is OG Aku's averaging 10.1 minutes per game. We need John at this point in the season to be ahead of schedule for maybe where it's even fair to say that he should be. But he needs to come in, especially in this game. This is a game where he can make a difference. We don't need OG Aku to score 10 points, but we need him to come away with maybe five, five rebounds and a couple block shots here to, to set up some transition baskets for this team maybe even early on. I, I don't know how early Mike Young will get him into the game. I, was, I certainly expect him to play a few minutes. I don't know how many. But being that it's such a big game, I think Ojiaku's role will really be felt out after he comes into the game the first time and Mike Young will make a decision on how long and how much he's going to play. Yeah, I definitely think Mike Young tried Ojiaku more so in the North Carolina game. You saw him try really hard to put him on Garrison Brooks and try to give a little break to P.J. and Denali on that defensive end. The only problem not Ojiaku so far has been when they needed him the most, that's when he gets into foul trouble early. So if he could stay out of foul trouble, he could really be a body inside that could help us in this game because we really can't just lean on Nolly and Horn to try to candle the inside of us. Sure. And you know, I, I think, and you spoke about this guy earlier. I think if you look going forward for the rest of the season, not just in this game, but let, let's just, you know, do what we preach to the team, have tunnel vision, focus one game at a time. I think the X factor for this game is Naheem Ali. Uh, you know, he's the second leading scorer on the team right now at nine and a half points. Uh, Landers Nolly is the only guy averaging double figures. Um, I, I think Aline provides a spark when he's knocking shots down. Uh, he had a huge step back shot where he created his own shot last night against Miami that kind of started the rally that got us back into the game. He had a couple huge threes against North Carolina. And he seems to be a guy that's not afraid to take the big shot in big moments, even though he is a freshman, like like the majority of this team, you know, inexperienced. So I, I think Aline's really the X factor going into this game. Yeah, I think if Aline could take out Forrest, if you watched the UVA game last night, you definitely saw Forrest, who had a huge game the night before, or the last game previously, was really taken out of the game. If Aline could give us that on the defense and contribute to 12 to 15 points on the offensive end, his contribution may put us over the top. Right. So I think you start looking at keys to the game. How does Virginia Tech win? We certainly know that they have to win the turnover battle. You know, it's no different than a football game. You have to protect the ball. So I think, you know, I don't know if this is feasible. I, I think six turnovers or less, in my mind, is probably where you need to be. 
Uh, I, th I think from the three-point line, if we're going to shoot at the volume that we have all season, and we're going to have to do that uh, to win this game, I think you're going to have to look at somewhere around 42 to 43%. And I think as a whole from the field, probably need to be around 44 45%, and Nolly needs to probably go for 20 What What's your opinion on that? I, I definitely agree with all of your keys. The one I would add is that we've got to win the free throw battle. This is a game that where we have to go to the line more than they do. If we end up being 10, 15 free throws behind this team like we have been in some of our losses, it's going to be really hard to make up those points just shooting three-pointers because those threes give you a couple points every other possession, but even if you're knocking them down, if they're getting to the foul line much more often than you are, they're going to make those points right back up. And, and I totally agree with that, and you've been banging that drum for weeks, that when we go to the line at a high clip, we win. And you know, I think you'd say about most teams in the country, but it's especially important for Virginia Tech due to their limited size and depth that we've, you know, talked about ad nauseum. Uh, you look at our free throw percentage as a team, we are shooting 69.2%, but that's being dragged down by some guys that don't, A, play a lot, and B, they don't go to the line a lot. So you look at the three guys that really are going to take the line share of the free throws and attack the basket and go to the line most often. Landers, Nolly shooting, we'll, we'll call it 79% for, uh, for the year. Naheem Aline, 71.4%, and Jalen Cohn coming in at 88.2%. And even OG uh, Wilkins, you know, it's at, at yeah, Wilkins at 72.2%. But especially those top three guys, they're shooting above 70%. So you have to like your chances, especially at home on a Saturday. If you're going to the line, those guys are going to knock those shots down. Yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with having the opportunity to see Florida State coming off of a loss at UVA. I think it's a good opportunity for us to look at the fact that they've got to adjust to what we do, and that's definitely not the same thing UVA does. We're not going to see too much huge difference in the Florida State offense as they will see in ours. I absolutely agree. Uh, so that being said, you know, we're going to kind of kind of give our prediction for Saturday. I'm going to start with you. How do you see this thing going? I think it's, you're going to see it be in the 70s, and I think we're going to have a 78-72 tech victory. Uh. I, I agree with that. I'm not sure that I'm ready to put a score on it yet, but I'm, I am going to say that, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. You could look at it and say that there's probably no way Florida State's going to lose two games in a row. But you spoke to the point that their schedule hasn't really been that tough, and, and they don't really have a ton of marquee victories that have panned out to be marquee victories to this point. Also, they're having to go on the road, back-to-back -back games, in two pretty raucous environments, you know, uh, for HCC basketball. And, and pull off a road win, and, and they weren't successful at John Paul Jones, and we're going to hope that they're not successful this Saturday in the Castle. I'm inclined to agree with you. I do think that somehow, some way, Mike Young's team finds a way to have one more point when the clock hits triple zeros in the Castle and find themselves right back in the NCAA tournament discussion and set themselves up to play their way into a bid. In keeping with our basketball theme, you know, a segment that we've traditionally – been doing here on Terradome Talk is this week in Hokie history. We normally focus on football, but with it being basketball season, we want to transition, you know, to that train of thought and kind of, you know, pay tribute to some memorable performances on the hardwood for Virginia Tech basketball. And I think that this is a really exciting one to start with. Uh, we look back to just a season ago in the castle on a Saturday night, Virginia Tech playing Syracuse, Justin Robinson, really in what essentially turned out to be his last game in Castle Coliseum. Basically, it was a de facto his senior night for J-Rob. Comes out, scores 35 points on 9 of 13 shooting, 
eight of ten from the free throw line. And if I'm not mistaken, he was nine of thirteen from three. Yeah, absolutely. He had twenty-four points before the break with seven three points. It was probably J. Rouse's best performance at Castle in quite a long time, if maybe ever. And we look back at that game, and it was definitely a starting off point for the Tech team that really proved where we were in the ACC. Um, it was a Syracuse team that was coming in with a lot of opportunity and trying to make its way off of that bubble conversation and really prove something to Tech. And the only thing they proved was how to take a really tough loss. Right. I mean, Syracuse came into the game 14-5, and 5-1 five, five and one in the ACC. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech came in at 4-2, and 16-3 overall. Um and, and really just dominated from start to finish. I mean, we were there together. Uh, we had a group there. Um, and I think if you look at the box score, the one thing that really stands out is Virginia Tech only had two guys in double figures, which was really an oddity for that team. Uh, you know, J-Rob, like we said, had 35. And then Med comes in with 16. But then Kerry Blackshear only scores six in the game. Isaiah Wilkins had six, and Ty Outlaw had three 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 pointers on or for nine points. So really, you know, this that team prided itself on spreading the scoring out. I mean, you had so many weapons with J. Rob, uh, KBJ, Nikhil, uh, Wilkins on any given night last year, and certainly Outlaw could get going and just be deadly from the three point line. And then Med was just that all around guy that could attack the rim, shoot from outside, and score in a variety of ways. So. Really, this was a night where those guys didn't have to do a whole lot except stand stand around and just admire Jay or Jay Rob and how good he really is. Yeah, it's amazing that this is the game that we're talking about this week because it really ties into where we were this week. Uh, if you look back, Bayheim had a lot to say about that game afterwards because of the the difference of the spread. He said his biggest complaint was he'd only have one day of rest before coming down the castle and playing us and really getting blown out of the gym and. It reminds me of the fact that our boys had to go from BC to Miami in the last few days, and it's hard to travel in the ACC. And I think it really caught up Syracuse that night. It, it absolutely is, and you know, Syracuse traditionally is you know has always been a top college basketball, one of the better teams. And you think about teams that are defined by the defense they play, and really, there's two that stand out, and that's UVA with their pack line and Syracuse with their two-three zone. And when you shoot Syracuse out of that two-three zone, I mean. One, you've accomplished something. And two, you've taken away their biggest weapon because they really defend well out of that 2-3 zone. And it's not your normal 2-3 where it's just kind of lax and, and we're moving around where the ball goes. They, they get after it in that 2-3 and look to create a lot of traps and turnovers. And I think that for a few minutes there, we actually saw Syracuse come out at 2-3 zone and try to put some pressure on the ball man-to-man, which is something they very rarely do because they could no longer afford just to let J-Rob come get open at the top of the key and knock down threes. Yeah, the only time Syracuse really comes out of the two threes is when they're trying to pressure the ball and trying to speed the game up when they're trailing by a lot. And you definitely see that in that game because Syracuse definitely had to come out and do some pressing and definitely do some man-to-man. Right, and you look at you look at the numbers in this game from from a team perspective, and really it's just complete dominance all the way around. I mean, Virginia Tech shot fifty two point one percent from the field, forty six point seven as a team from three on fourteen of thirty shooting, fourteen of twenty for seventy percent from the free throw line. Compared to Syracuse's thirty six point four from the field, thirty two point one from three, and fifty percent from the line of seven to fourteen. And, and just from start to finish, it was just an old-fashioned butt kicking. Yeah, you know? that was definitely the lowest point production Syracuse had, had all throughout that year already. Um, I mean, one thing that stands out to me as well is, and we talked about in the Miami game this year, Virginia Tech only having 11 assists. Virginia Tech had 23 assists as a team in this game on 25 made field goals. I mean, that's an incredible number. I mean, 
Virginia Tech made 22 field goals in Coral Gables last night. They had 23 assists in this game. So that really puts it in perspective just how special performance that this night was. And, and Syracuse only comes up with seven assists on 20 made field goals. And, and that speaks to not only Jay Rob's offensive performance, but the kind of defense this team played against Syracuse and just how locked in that team was that night. Yeah, other than the Duke game, that was probably our most impressive regular season performance last year, and it definitely goes down as a great game in Hokie history. For, for sure. And, you know, it, it turned out to be a really special night for J-Rob, and like, like we spoke about earlier, was his de facto senior night. He would not play in the castle again. He would get back in time, ready for the ACC and NCAA tournament. And I thought that, you know, J-Rob's injury after this game at Miami really – going forward, set the tone for maybe, I won't say making the team better, but allowing some guys to grow in different roles. You look at Nikhil running the point. He grew as a player, certainly. Wilkins was dependent on more Beatty, and it really helped Beatty for this year because he he learned from J-Rob, had J-Rob there as you know, another coach on the bench when he had to step in, and he learned how to compete and be that four general and the team leader that, that this program really needs. Yeah, without J-Rob's injury, I think BD definitely would not have been in the position he was to lead this team at the beginning of the year. I think he took on a lot of those characteristics, and he definitely took over the dice before the game. So BD's role became very much more important in that final run of the ACC. Absolutely. And really this game, we knew last year's team was going to be special and probably the, probably the best basketball team Virginia Tech's ever had, all things considered. Uh and, and I think that this game really was a catalyst and a spark and set up things for the future going forward for us to make that sweet 16 run, which we narrowly, you know, lose to Duke there. Uh, Med has a great look, but he's going away from the basket to tie the game up. Who knows what happens if we get that in overtime, get, get that thing to overtime. But you really have to be proud of what that 2018 Hokies basketball team accomplished. Absolutely. I think the expectation that we have now as Hokie fans is to reclaim those type of seasons. And I think that group of guys – including J. Robert, that amazing night was just one part of it. Absolutely. There's, you know, going forward, there's a ton to look forward to for Virginia Tech basketball, including the rest of this season. I still believe that we're going to find our way back. We're going to grit our way back onto the bubble, maybe on the right side and, and make this exciting. But it's certainly fun to look at, you know, this game and what was the five years that Buzz Williams and his staff spent here in Blacksburg. And we'll, especially for me as a fan, I, you know, I can't speak for all Hokie fans, but I know the majority of Hokie fans will always look back on that, that five-year period as a really special time for Virginia Tech basketball. And without that time period, there probably is no Mike Young in Blacksburg and there probably is no future as we know it going forward because they show that you can win big in Blacksburg and within the basketball program. That's going to wrap up this edition of Terradome Talk. Um, this has you know, certainly been a basketball-centric preview. We hope to have Austin Eads, our other guest, on the podcast. Uh, he and I are going to discuss Hokie football and all the things that have been happening since the Belk Bowl. You know, certainly a whirlwind of things going on and a lot to discuss. We really pre- appreciate Josh Hollifield joining us. We hope to have him back weekly for uh, – you know, to do some podcast basketball previews in conjunction with our football previews and really just discuss Virginia Tech baseball and all things Hokie sports, uh, the wrestling program, as they look to uh, go to the NCAA tournament, make some noise there. So, Josh, I really appreciate you joining us. I thank you for having on, man, and I look forward to seeing what the rest of the season holds for the team. I'm Jonathan Hagee. I'm Joshua Hoffman, and we're signing out from the Terradome.